Well, good morning again. Thank you very much, worship team. That was, I love worshipful songs, and we tend to sing those here, which is a wonderful thing. But those songs that just praise God for who he is and his might, we love them. Because we are here, first and foremost, for Jesus Christ, our Savior, the most awesome king ever, and what an honor and privilege it is to stand in front of you and be able to preach today. So thank you, Pastor Clint, for giving me this opportunity. He asked me this morning as I was ready, and I was like, no, no, I'm not. But we're still in the book of Acts, and wow, what a book. We've um, got to a point now where, I'll tell you, today's scripture, I believe there's a few things that can be misunderstood in today's scripture, so um, we won't misunderstand them when we leave here today. I do want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, if you weren't here, if you haven't been joining us here or on Facebook or YouTube, um, go back and watch the sermons and go back and read, start in Acts chapter 1 and get up to chapter 8, verses 9, where we are today. And last week, we discussed Paul, or then Saul, he's ravaging of the church. Stephen has been martyred, and a young Pharisee named Saul is now ravaging the church, dragging people out of their homes and imprisoning them. And because of this persecution, the church is now scattered. And of course, if you look a little bit back further in Acts, it's exactly what Jesus Christ said was going to happen. You start in Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So because of this persecution, it has pushed out the disciples to spread the gospel past Jerusalem. And we pick up with Philip in Samaria. Now... Philip was preaching the word in Samaria, and the folks there believed the word, and they were baptized, and this is where we pick up in the story. But God did use that persecution of the church to fulfill his will. God put some pressure on the church, and they got out of their comfort zone, and they spread out and spread the gospel. And so God can use these things in our lives. And you think about, because God used persecution like this, yes, well, look at the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ, that was a horrific act, if you look at it in the sense of an innocent man being murdered, but what did God turn that into? Here we are today worshiping him because we're saved by his blood. So God's amazing. God can do whatever it is he wants to do. Now, the sermon title today is From Your Head to Your Heart, and we'll get into that a little bit, but I'll give you the two main points that we'll talk about today, and, and the first point is the fact that God is God, we're not. And God can do whatever he wants. And whether you like it or not, or you're okay with it or not, it really doesn't matter. Because God's God, and he's going to do what he is going to do to fulfill his purposes. And number two, is sometimes we can miss it. You know, we say 18 inches from your head to your heart. Well, when we talk about our heart, like we talk about in here a lot, we're not talking about the bloody muscle. We're talking about our spirit, our us. But having head knowledge and having a saving faith in Christ are two totally separate things. So before I read God's word, I want to pray because I would want this message to be directly out of God's word, and I want it to be God's word. So just join me in a quick word of prayer. Dear Lord, please bless this reading out of your word, and Lord, please help my words be your words so that I speak your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be picking up in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 9 through 25, and out of reverence for God's word, if you can, would you rise while we read God's word?
Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. But when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on him and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion of this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. You may have a seat. So we see an introduction of a strange figure named Simon. Simon was one of these Samaritans that heard Philip preaching. And it says here in the text that he believed what Philip was saying. And he was even baptized. But this is a man that he had previously astounded the people with his sorceries and his magic. And he proclaimed himself as someone great. And the people paid attention to him. So as a magician, you know, he felt pretty important. He was able to... to have people think him important and follow him. They even said he was a godlike figure or had the power of God. Now, the Samaritans were, well, the Jews didn't look at him as Gentiles exactly, but they definitely weren't Jews. They were half-breeds. They were, in a lot of their eyes, worse than Gentiles. And the Samaritans had their own gospel and their own Messiah that they preached. And when Philip came and he preached the true Messiah, they believed him and they began to follow Philip. And as I said, it's very important that it says that Simon did believe, and Simon was baptized. And after his profession of faith and his baptism, he followed Philip around and went everywhere with him. And he was just astounded at the stuff Philip was doing. So he had all the outer trappings that a Christian would have. He looked like a Christian. I believe that Philip thought he was a Christian. Otherwise, I don't think he would have invited him along or at least shoot him off. But here's a man, Simon, looks like a Christian, talks like a Christian, Acts like a Christian, at least for a while, following Philip around. So he, he had all the outer trappings. Now, starting in verse 14, this, is, this could be a very misunderstood passage, but I want to pick up in 14. It said, now the apostles who were at Jerusalem, remember the apostles stayed back in Jerusalem during the uh, persecution. The disciples went out and the apostles stayed behind. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
Like I mentioned before, this, this passage has been utilized incorrectly at times. Um, the fact that Peter and John came, and when they laid hands on the Samaritans, that's when they received the Spirit. Now, we see in the Bible cases where the Spirit is received after the laying of hands. We've seen cases where the Spirit is received without the laying of hands. But God is God, right? And God's going to do what he wants to do. And he's going to do what he sees fit. Now, why did he wait for the apostles? Do, you know, we, why did he wait for Peter and John to show up before that? It, perhaps for the benefit of the apostles so that they could see that salvation also can lie with the Samaritans. Perhaps for the Samaritans so they could know that it's for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Perhaps both. I can tell you this with assurance that I'm not 100% sure why. But I'm 100% sure that God did it that way because it says so in his word. And it says so here. And it says that the spirit was received other ways and other times. Now for this time, in this circumstance, this is what God did. And you can be okay with that. And it doesn't really matter. You cannot understand it. And that's okay. Because once again... God is God, and God will do what he wills. Did God need these apostles to come and do a work of laying hands to give out his spirit? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But he chose to do it that way. People can read this and think that you cannot receive the spirit unless a man comes and lays his hands on you. And I will tell you with 100% assurance, that is absolutely false. Absolutely false. It takes no work of any man to cause a movement of God. God will do what he wants to do. Every time. So God does not need any work from any man. It's just what he chose to do at that time. Now verse 18. We kind of switch gears a little bit. <clears throat> we come back to this fellow Simon. And when Simon saw that through the laying of the apostles hands. The Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money saying, give me this power also. Remember Simon, he's been in the, the sorcery trade, the magic trade for a while. And he's been doing these signs and wonders and having people pay attention to him and follow him. So I think this is an insight into Simon's thought process to where he sees something magnificent and he would really like to be able to have that power so that people would pay attention to him again. And what an awesome thing, right? I can lay my hands and control God. It is interesting that Simon did believe the word of Philip. And yet here, he's totally misunderstanding God. And that God's not going to move because he says to God that you must move. He's not going to just jump out and say, okay, now it's time, Lord. If you see a guy swinging his coat around, throwing the Holy Spirit, that's not right. That's not right. <laughs> So once again, I think there's other passage in here that may be somewhat misunderstood. But it says, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now how is it that Simon could believe what Philip was saying, and yet, here's Peter, and from the words of Peter, it's obvious. 
He's saying to them, he's going to perish. And we know John 3.16 says you won't ever perish if you're saved. So how do we reconcile that? And I was thinking back to when I was in college, studying mechanical engineering at the school that's just a little bit above Clemson. Actually, I, I was kidding. Actually, Clemson's third behind Florida State and MIT. But, um, <clears throat> and I thought about a time when in my senior design project, I was working with a bunch of fellows. And, and ladies, if you don't know this already, guys do stupid things. And on our senior design project, we had this big gurney that we were going to use to measure the thrust of a jet engine we were making. But before we put the jet engine on there, there was this big weight. I don't know what it weighed, but it was a chunk of metal. It may have been 40 or 50 pounds. Enough that if you swung it and it hit you in the head, it would hurt quite a bit. Now, as an engineering student, we'd studied the mechanics of pendulums. You know, a pendulum is a weight on a string, and you, know, you pull it back like a clock, and it just goes back and forth. And in a perfect world, the way a pendulum works, and I say a perfect world, you have a weightless string with a frictionless uh, attachment and no wind resistance. So if you bring that pendulum up to a point and you let it go, it will swing and it will come back exactly to that point. Not any further. It's mathematics. It just works perfectly. But of course, in the world we live in, we don't have a weightless string or a frictionless attachment or no wind resistance. So know fully well and believe that as you bring that big weight back to a point and let it go, it will swing out and because of all these things I mentioned, the, the weight and the wind resistance and the friction, that ball of metal will not quite come back to where it started. It definitely won't go past it, and it won't make it to it. It'll stop a little short. And after a certain amount of time, that pendulum will dampen itself out and stop. Knowing this and believing this, and I have done the mathematics and seen it before, we decided as a bunch of guys, well, we back ourselves up against the wall, put our heads against the wall to where we can't move any further back. And our buddies would take that big heavy weight and bring it up to your nose and let it go. And now, fully believing that this pendulum is not going to crush my head, I have head knowledge that says this thing is not going to come back and crush my head. But when your head's back against the wall and there's a 50-pound weight moving away and you see it just drift away and then it starts coming back, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it just doesn't look like it's going to stop. And as it's bearing down on my face, fully believing that this thing is not going to, I bailed out. I bailed out. And my buddies laughed at me. And then I said, now it's your turn. <laughs> well, my buddy Scotty gets up there. It's the same thing. He's done the same math, has the same knowledge. Believes he just saw where the pendulum went. And it probably you know, wouldn't have crushed my nose, he's thinking. Of course it wouldn't have. Do the same thing with him. And he bails out. Now, I fully believe that pendulum, that weight, was not going to smash my face. I had head knowledge and did the math and understood fully that actually it wasn't even going to come back to where it started. It was going to come back to a little bit short of my face. But I didn't have the faith when my back was against the wall to stay in there and not move. When that pendulum was coming at me. There's a difference between head knowledge and putting your faith in it. I bailed out. And I'm guessing a lot of you would too. Because it's not fun having a weight come at your head. And I thought of another time too when, uh, I think I was in college at this time too. Oddly enough, when I was in college, I wore my hair shorter than I do now. But my wife's dad worked in the uh, industry, the, the insurance industry. And as a gift, I, I think actually if he gave me it with a certain number of, 
of policies, he'd get a bonus. Well, he bought her a policy. He paid for it on me. So now she has the insurance that if I kick the bucket, you know, she gets the insurance money, which is a good deal for her. And then shortly thereafter, she got me a gift of skydiving. Y'all can put that together. It's a true story. <clears throat> but it's a very similar thing to <laughs> jump out of an airplane with a parachute. Because if you're on a plane and that plane is going down, engines are out and you're just barreling towards the ground, and beside you in the seat is a parachute. If you know full well that if you put that parachute on, strap it on, jump out of that plane and pull the ripcord that you'll be saved, that's great. That's good knowledge. But if you don't have the faith to jump out with that parachute, you will perish. So there is a big difference between believing and having the faith to trust. Go with me quickly to the book of James Chapter 2, verse 19. This is one of those verses that go, ooh, wow, what does that mean? James is a fantastic book. I know every time I get up here and I talk about, what a great book, what a great book. James is great. Acts is great. I was just talking with my dad yesterday, who happens to be here today, about, you know, most people say when you get saved, go read the book of John. And I think, wow, James is a great number two book because it's just no... No, it doesn't hold back any punches. Just says, now you're a Christian, go do this. Well, here in the second chapter of James, verse 19, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. So we have to take the full counsel of God and look at what this means. Believe. Yes, do you believe? It's good if you do. Do you trust? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, or is he someone that you know can save you? Has he saved you? Have you trusted him? Do you live for him? Examine yourself. The Bible says to examine yourself. Now, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, there's a great test. And it's, let's go there. Galatians chapter 5. Verses 19 through 26. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a list of stuff. And we just blew through it real fast. And yes, every one of us is guilty of some, if not all, right? Guilty of one part of the law, you're guilty of all. This is in the flesh. Is the, are these the things that are ruling our life? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Quite a discrepancy between the first list and the second list. And this is not to say that if you are in Christ, you are without sin. John says if you say you're without sin, man, you're a liar. You make God a liar. 
But where's your trust? Where's your hope? Is it in head knowledge that you know that there is a Savior, that if you trust Him, He will save you? Or has He saved you? I think this is the most important question of all time. And I think that growing up in the church is the way to grow up. So my next statement, please do not take it wrong, but it's dangerous to grow up in the church. Because you hear the facts growing up, and you play the part. Simon, he had Philip fooled. Simon had, like I said, the outer trappings of a Christian. He believed. He knew it to be true. The words that Philip told him, yes, they made sense to him. He followed Philip around everywhere. He was at church all the time. And yet, his heart was in the wrong place. It's an easy trap to get into. I believe Simon thought he was saved. Because why would he follow around? Why would he stay there? Why would he approach an apostle and ask for that power? He had a misunderstanding, but I believe he thought he was saved. Now, what the Bible says is, test yourself. Look into the word. There's a lot of words in here. Now, I've mentioned that there is a difference between belief and faith. I don't want you to take away from here that that faith requires work from us. The faith that we have will produce works. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I believe many of you have this already memorized and it's right after Galatians I love um, Adrian Will Rogers I was listening to him one time and I've got Galatians Ephesians Philippians Colossians stuck in my head in that order G-E-P-C Gentiles eat pork chops that's how I remember Galatians Ephesians Philippians Colossians so Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 very very familiar passages but I want to frame this whole discussion with this for by grace I'm going to repeat that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is grace, it is grace, it is grace, it is grace. The distance between your head and your heart is not very far. And I know we're not talking about the bloody muscle when we talk about our heart. But to go to the end of this life with a vast amount of head knowledge about Christ and who he is, and what he can do and not actually trust in that is a tragedy. So I implore everyone, test yourself. Now, that does not mean this is an invitation to just really start doubting. That's not what I'm talking about. If you know you're in Christ, hallelujah, praise God, one of the redeemed, see you in heaven. That's great, it's wonderful. You can have knowledge of your salvation. You can know 100% sure that you are in the hand of God. That you are one of his children. You can know that. And there will be times, even when you are a saved individual, that you know, there will be doubts that creep in. There will be thoughts that hit your head. There will be times when you just don't feel like one of the redeemed. But if you are, you take those feelings and you stand them up against the word of God. And if they don't match, chuck your feelings. Get rid of them. Feelings are great until they don't match the word of God. But like I said, this is not an invitation to just wallow in doubt. It's an invitation to check yourself and see, 
Yes. I am in the hand of God. I am one of God's children. And forevermore, I will live eternally with him. And that is a glorious thing. But it's also an opportunity to check yourself and say, have I been playing a game? Has this been a church game? Do I go to church because that's what I'm supposed to do? Do I actually trust in God? Do I hunger after the things of God? Are there those times that I haven't read the Bible today and I'm just like, I've, I've got to get in the Word because I'm missing it. Do you hunger and thirst for the things of God? Examine yourselves. I said the most important question ever. The most important question ever. And some people say, you know, why am I on this earth? I didn't ask to be here. You know, you, you're telling me that I, I've got to believe and trust in Christ, and I didn't even ask to be here. You know, it's, it's like I'm on a sinking ship, and I didn't even ask to go fishing, right? Well, when the rescue boat shows up, whether you ask to be there or not, you're going to get on the rescue boat, or you're going to whine and drown. Rescue boat is right here. It's Jesus Christ. Believe on Jesus Christ. But that belief is a belief that you just not only store in your head, and once again, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, I'm not saying it's our works, but it's a belief that causes us to act. Our actions don't save us, but it's a belief, a faith that causes us to act. And faith is not some blind, weird thing that you just kind of hope something happens. Faith is the substance. Read Hebrews 11.1. 1. It has substance. It's, it's not ethereal. We know that this is going to happen because of our faith. Simon, I don't, know, I don't know if he became a saved individual or not. I really don't know. The question he asked Peter after Peter dropped the hammer down on him shows that he, had, he was sorry he said it, but I can't, I can't really tell you if um, I'm in the wrong book. If he was truly repentant, he was definitely didn't want bad things to happen to him. So let's pick back up. Actually, I'll go back to 23 where Peter said, I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity, bound by sin. If you're still bound by sin, you're not saved. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So there was some level of repentance, but I can't, I can't really tell from here whether he wanted Peter to pray for him and he wasn't going to pray for himself. I don't know, but here's the thing. God knows. If we see Simon in heaven... It's like, congratulations. If we don't, it's a choice he made. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Going back to the beginning of these verses, it was persecution of the church that led the people out of Jerusalem. These persecuted people what does it say they did? They ran, they fled, preaching the gospel. Are we preaching the gospel? Do we truly believe and have faith that these things that Jesus Christ is doing and has done are life changers? Are we sharing that with people? It wasn't the great suggestion. It's the great commission. And I want to see every one of you 
in heaven. And it says fear not, so I don't want to say I'm afraid. But what I'd hate to see is someone that sat and listened to the gospel, even believes it, has not the faith to trust it, to trust it. So I want to pray for every one of us here today that the gospel rests in your heart, not just in your head. Because what a tragedy to have that knowledge of a loving God, powerful, holy, but so loving that he sent his only son to this earth so that we could be saved. Like I said, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to lay hands to move his spirit. In John, it says that the people of the spirit are like the wind. You know, it goes whichever way it goes. And we don't see the wind. We don't understand every movement of the wind. But it's going to do what it's going to do. And the Holy Spirit is going to do what it's going to do. And when you feel that spirit on your heart, don't resist it. If it's been a game, if it's been a life of going to church and not trusting in Christ, today is the day of salvation. And in a room like this of people that love Christ, it is not a shameful thing to come to Christ. I've known people for uh, years and figured they were Christians and then saw them saved. And it was not a time of condemnation. There's no condemnation in Christ. Even if it's been a lifetime of pretending to be a Christian. It's a celebration. The angels in heaven celebrate. The thing that gets us, you name a sin, it's pride. Any sin, it's pride. Don't let pride keep you out of a glorious relationship with the God who created the universe. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. You hear people say you need to get right with God because one day you're going to die. And that's very true. But I say you need to get right to God now because you will really start to live. It's a life. It's an adventure. It's amazing to step out in faith with God. He, the things he does do not make sense to us sometimes. And we look back at what he did and said, wow, God is awesome. He is incredible. So I invite anyone, everyone, to examine themselves. Look at the Galatians. Look at Hebrews. Spend some time in the Word right now in prayer. As we pray here in just a moment. Search yourselves. And if you feel that spirit saying, now's the time. This is the day of salvation. I don't care what anybody thinks. Now is the time of salvation. Pastor Clint says it all the time. Don't plan to do it next Tuesday. It's not, that's not how the spirit works. You're not going to control the spirit. If the spirit's telling you now, it's now. Now, today is the day of salvation. Pray with me, please. Dear Father God, Lord, I thank you so much for everyone here, Lord. I thank you for the fact that you are God and we are not. If we, if we were the ones making the decisions, Lord, you know what a mess it would be. And Lord, you make decisions and sometimes we don't understand them. Lord, sometimes we even think maybe it's the wrong decision. But in our heart of hearts, we know always that anything you do is righteous and holy and perfect. And Father, we thank you for the fact that you are a holy, righteous God, a powerful God, a wise God. 
that even though we don't understand everything, it doesn't matter because you're in control. And Father, this world right now is quite a mess. But we know that you use everything for your glory and nothing takes you by surprise. You are so powerful and mighty that there's nothing we can do to mess up your plan. But Father, we know that you created us in your image. You created us to worship you. And you created us with a choice. We can't overrun what you're going to do. You have predestined who you will to be in your kingdom. And we have a choice. Lord, that brings up questions. And there's been lots of discussion and theology and eschatology and you name it. But the answer to which one is it is yes. Just as your son is 100% man and 100% God, the answer is yes. So Lord, as you tug at our hearts to say, today is the day of salvation, may we respond without our pride. And Father, we thank you so much for the word that you give us, even when we're saved, to continue to grow us and those days where we feel somewhat out of place and those days where we don't quite feel good enough, well, Lord, we're not. But that's where you come in and thank you so much for your salvation. Father, be with us this week, this hour, right now. Tug at our hearts and show us the way. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.